it's really good to see everyone. We're, we um, we're starting, uh, started off last week and doing for the month the, the book of Philippians. Um, and this morning we're going to look at the first chapter. Um, let's just talk a minute before we get in into it, what's going on in the text. Um, Paul's in jail. Not just jail, he's in prison. And it's, it's, he's, he's not, you know, it's not one of these, you know, doing three to five for theft or something. He's literally facing death. There's a potential that he gets, that, that they, they take his life. This is a very serious situation. So, you know, he's writing to these Philippians and it's like, okay, the, the, Paul, the apostle, the great preacher, the one who's been, you know, traveling for years, bringing the gospel, this, this uh, evangelist, this apostle is in jail. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? You see, we, we know the history and we look back and we go, yeah, this is when Paul was in prison and all this. I, I'm, think about it today. When, Think about who to you would be great leaders of the faith, and now they're all imprisoned. What's the church going to do? In fact, let me ask you, what, what would be your circumstance? What would be your, your prison? Is it, is it illness? Is it job situations, family situations? Is it, is it crises? Crises in the world? What, what is it? Because this is, this is what's going on in this book. This is, this is what's happening. This is the backstory to what Paul's telling us here. So how does he deal with this? Now, now this is also, the, now that's the backstory. This is also a letter. It's a letter. So what we're getting from this is, it's a, um, and I love this. This is from uh, Bible Project. It's a unique window into Paul's heart and his mind. We're looking into the soul of Paul. It's, it's not a, um, wh- and what are we seeing? He sees that his life is literally a reenactment of Jesus' story. He sees that, that God's love, Jesus' love, the presence of Jesus, that's what gives him hope and humility at the same time. He knows Jesus deeply. He knows Jesus personally. And so as we look at the first chapter this morning, there are four things I think we're going to walk away from. For, for Paul, Jesus changes everything. He changes everything. Number two, he prays for the Philippians that they have a Jesus kind of love. Number three, that imprisonment itself to Paul is living the Jesus story. Whatever your imprisonment is. And number four, our lives, our lives are to live out the Jesus story. So that's what we're going to look at. So for Paul, Jesus changes everything. So how does Paul understand Jesus? So uh, uh, I'm going to just briefly touch on, uh, there's a passage in the second chapter, and Pastor Terry's going to cover that next week, but it is literally the center of the whole letter. And if we understand that and how Paul sees Jesus, everything else he says centers around that. And I'm not going to read the text, I'm just going to kind of summarize. What's he saying? He's saying this, Jesus pre-existed as God and yet, from that place of preexistence, he empties himself out and takes on the role of a slave. And he comes born in the likeness of humanity. And then he starts over again. Jesus exists as a man, and as a man, he humbles himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we get this journey from him preexisting as God to him abandoning all of that to a point of obedience to the Father to where he is crucified. 
And it says, as a result of that, as a result of that kind of humility and that kind of love submission to the Father, that kind of love for you and me, God highly exalts him and gives him a name that's above every other name. And I'm gonna read this. It says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. We're saying there is not a created being ever on earth, in heaven, under the earth that's not gonna bow to the name of Jesus. This changes everything for Paul. And he says that, that, that every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, it's not a question of if, it's only a question of when. And that's what beats, makes his heart beat. All right, so I love this quote by Gordon Fee. In Jesus, God has revealed his true nature. This is what it means for Jesus to be equal with God. This is what it means for Jesus to be equal with God, to pour himself out for the sake of others, and to do so by taking the role of a slave. You see, for Paul to be able to go through the circumstances he's going through, he understands who Jesus is, which means he understands who God is. How many of us understand the character and nature of God is that he's not concerned about himself, he's concerned about you and me, which to the point that his position as the God of heaven and earth means less to him than your position in relationship with him. Do you follow that? This isn't a theological statement. This is a heart statement. Because it means something. There's a second part to that. Why? Because you and I were created to be in his image. And Jesus comes in the image of the Father to demonstrate what you and I are to look like. We're to look like that. We're to love others so much that our position doesn't matter. Why? We leave that to God. What matters is our lives for others. That's the character and nature of God. That's what God demonstrates. That's the mindset Paul wants us to develop. Jesus said it himself this way in Mark. Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them? But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you, be a servant. Whoever would be first among you, be a slave. Now, did you catch that? If you want to be great, be a servant. But if you want to be number one, be a slave. You want to be great, be a servant. But if you want to be number one, be a slave. And, the, and, and it's in the Greek, those two words are m- meaning that way. For even as the Son of Man came not, to be ser- came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So number one, Paul understands something. Jesus changes everything. How does he change everything? You want to be great? Serve. You want to be first? Be the slave. Number one, Jesus changes everything. When that mindset changes, everything in life changes. And so we start off the chapter. Paul is writing to the Philippians. It's Paul and Timothy. They know Timothy. Paul, Timothy was with Paul. And it starts right off. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants to Jesus Christ. You see, he's going to begin off in this first section of the letter. And he writes this letter just like the standard letters of his time. 
it's, a, it's, a, it's an affectionate letter, but it follows a standard pattern, and he's going to bless them. He's going to start off with a blessing. He has a prayer, but there's a heart to that prayer. The prayer is what? That we would have a Jesus kind of love because Jesus changes everything. He wants us to have a Jesus kind of love. And so he starts off, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Notice what he says right there. What are they? Servants of Jesus Christ. How does he define himself? He's going to call us to live like Jesus, and he defines himself that way to begin with. That word there, by the way, is, is doulos, bondservants, slaves. To all saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says, to all the saints in Jesus Christ. Now, that word saints, Dr. Michael Heiser is a, um, a scholar that I've followed quite a bit. He's an amazing Bible scholar. And he says he has a pet peeve with the translation of that word saints. And he says there's a much better way of translating and understanding that word. And we're not going to talk about it in here. We're going to talk about it in Connect Group. So, join us in Connect Group afterwards and you'll find out about that. But we're going to get on other parts of the text this morning. So this is an invitation to come join us in Connect Group afterwards. All right. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I thank my God in, in, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for y'all making my prayer with joy. Do you notice he's a Texan for you all? He does it twice, actually. So I knew Paul was a Texan. I knew it. I knew it. Always in every prayer of mine for y'all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is saying, listen, I pray for you, and when I pray for you, I am filled with joy. Why is he filled with joy? Because he is living his life that others would come to Christ. And not only have they come, they partnered with him in it. They have understood Jesus. They have understood Jesus in your life means you're not just showing up. You're actually part of the gospel going forward. You're partnering you're partnering. This was a city that was uh, militaristic. It was patriotic. It was a Roman city. And in the midst of the city, they're embracing Jesus. They understood to embrace Jesus is to partner in the gospel. Joy doesn't come from what we obtain in the world. It comes from living out eternal meaning and purposes. When Paul lives out eternal meaning and purposes and he sees it in the lives of others, he's filled with joy. And he goes on, he says, I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, take note of that phrase, a day of Jesus Christ. This is important to Paul. He's going to talk about this multiple times. It's, it's a reference to him coming back. And he goes on and says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Because I hold you in my heart. I told you this is a letter of affection. It's not an academic letter, though there's incredible academics in it. It's not a theological work, though there's incredible theology in it. It's a heart of Paul loving these people like Jesus. And he says, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. If we understand what Jesus did, he came to enable us to have a divine encounter with him. That's grace. Divine living. Receiving his divine living. Now, why am I pointing that out right here? Because he says grace is what? Both my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. How many of us would be in a prison going, oh, grace. Grace. 
He says, you're partakers with me of grace. Isn't that awesome? Both the grace of being in prison and the grace of defending and carrying forth the gospel. All of us think grace means helping me carry forth the gospel. We don't think grace lends me in prison. But if, it's not, if you see your circumstances the way Paul understood his circumstances, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes, you'll understand that grace comes uh, for all circumstances. And here's the point. How many of us are all kinds of worried about everything that might happen? Thank you. We got one honest person. <laughs> Two, three. We got a few honest people here. Okay, so 17 points for all y'all right there. <laughs> Come on Wednesday night, you'll understand what the points mean. So that gets explained Wednesdays. All right. Um, we worry about all kinds of things. And for some reason, God doesn't just provide grace to deal with that worry. Why? Because God doesn't give grace for what might be. He gives grace for what is. We don't have to worry about the circumstances we're going to go into. When we go into them, he will provide the grace. What we need to know is that he is the author of that grace. He is the author of that grace. And number two is that he has called us on a mission. And they are partaking of that mission with him to, to defend and confirm the gospel. He has given us grace for whatever circumstances we're in so that we can defend and confirm the gospel. We can carry out the mission of God. Circumstances don't thwart the mission of God for Paul because of God's grace. All right, so for my God is witness, Paul's writing here, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus. You can hear his words again. These are personal, they're affectionate. And then he gives this blessing. This is a blessing he gives them. He said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with all knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be sure and blameless for the day of Christ. You see the day of Christ? Remember I said pay attention to that phrase? Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He is, he's writing this letter with this blessing over them. And I love how Gordon Fee refers to this. He says, Paul is praying for the Philippians to have a Jesus kind of love. And what kind of love is a Jesus kind of love? A sober kind of love that places high value on a person and actively seeks the person, that person's benefit. He's praying for them that you have the love Jesus has, that you live in a way that you live for others, and that this abounds more and more and more. This is a Jesus kind of love. And that's the kind of love that gives glory and praise to God. And twice now he's mentioned that Jesus is going to return. So that should mean we should be living a certain way expecting that. How? With a Jesus kind of love. How many of us are expecting Jesus to return? We say we are. He's calling for us to live with a Jesus kind of love. How many know that when we do, we hasten the day that he returns? That's in 2 Peter chapter 3. Look it up and check me later on it. All right. So Jesus changes everything, and he calls us to live a Jesus kind of love. Paul's imprisonment. Paul sees himself as living Jesus' story. This is verses 12 through 26. Paul sees his circumstances as living out Jesus. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Look, he's telling them, they're concerned. 
How many of us would be concerned if we had a good friend in another country who just got arrested for the gospel? Two of us? Yeah, we'd all be concerned, wouldn't we? They're concerned. They heard that Paul was locked up in prison, that here it was, the great preacher of the gospel, he's locked up over there, and, he's, and what does he say? Listen, 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 listen. This is for the gospel. This is for the gospel. Everybody's hearing the gospel. When you understand the cross of Jesus, then your circumstances that live the cross are Jesus. Imprisonment for Paul is not thwarting God's plan. It is God's plan. It's bringing about God's plan. I won't say it is God's plan. It's bringing about God's plan. What does Paul do? He blooms where he's planted. You want to lock me up? Okay, we're going to have prison ministry. Really? That's what's going on. Everybody knew. Every circumstance was an opportunity because God provides grace in the circumstances. What's your circumstance? There's your opportunity. Let me say that again. What's your circumstance? There's your opportunity. Philippians 14, 1.14, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Okay, I, I'll be honest with you. For the longest time, that's just a weird verse. I mean, come on, really? Wait a minute. Paul gets locked up for preaching the gospel, and so that makes other people bold? That, to me, it would sound like Paul gets locked up. I guess I better not say nothing. Right? I mean, isn't that what actually happens? Somebody gets, somebody gets, well, let me put it a different way. Somebody gets canceled on Facebook, so we stop posting things about Jesus. Somebody gets canceled, does that make you more bold? Paul says it makes him more bold. How is that possible? That's weird. Unless, let's see. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Oh my goodness, here it is. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love. Paul, that great preacher of the gospel is put in jail. He's not out. He can't preach the gospel. I guess we need to step up. My goodness, if we left it to all the people we called the great preachers, the gospel never gets preached around the world. It was all the people he discipled over those years who realized Paul's out of the picture. Now that means it's your turn and my turn. And that emboldened them. It didn't make them more timid. It said, listen, I understand something. I understand, number one, Jesus changes everything. It's not about my circumstances. It's about me, about me living the life story of Jesus. And I, he has called me to live that kind of Jesus love just like he called Paul. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. So, um, 
Again, I'm going to say this again. Joy doesn't come from what we obtain in the world. Paul is filled with joy even when his rivals are preaching Christ. Why? Picture what's going on here. His rivals think they're getting over on him. Now, what's happening is his rivals are out there preaching Christ, but they're preaching a real true gospel. They're not preaching a false gospel. Paul deals with false teachers in Galatians and other places, and we can look at that later. They're preaching a true gospel, and they're doing it to try to make Paul upset. And Paul's like, you think that makes me upset? The only thing I care about is Jesus getting preached. You think you're doing it to spite me, and you're actually giving me joy because the gospel message is going forward. What would the world be like if, if those who were our rivals, we sought to build them up rather than tear them down? What would happen if we had that kind of Jesus love? What would happen if we saw our lives living that part of the Jesus story? For Paul, it was rejoicing. For Paul, it was the gospel going out. These rivals, this is Paul saying to himself, these rivals think they afflict me when they're going about doing the very thing I live my life to accomplish. How how ironic, despite Paul, they're doing the very thing that means the most to him. In trying to make him jealous, they're doing the very thing that means the most. Can I tell you something? That's called the cross. Jesus says, no one takes my life, I lay it down. The very thing you're doing to stamp me out is the very thing I'm doing to lift up all of humanity through me. To bring glory to God. So, verse 19. For, though, for, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage now... As always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here it is. This is the point. When he's saying that my life will be honored by life or death, he's making the point. Everybody knows this. he is in a life or death situation. This is serious. He may not come out of this with his life. The reason why that's important to understand is these next few passages. Because people talk about these next couple passages. Is he trying to commit suicide? What's going on here? I don't understand here. What's going on is he's facing a circumstance where he may not come out alive. This is what he says. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I can't tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me... You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What's he saying? He's saying, look, I'm facing death here. And uh, uh, there's a possibility I'm going to live. So which one should I desire? Which one should I really want? Paul says, look, well, if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. That's a good thing. There's nothing you can do to me that's going to cause me to start fearing of what's going to happen to me. The only thing you can do to me is cause me to be closer to Jesus. That's the only thing you can do to me. Okay, take your best shot. He says, however, I'm living Jesus' story. And to live Jesus' story means I need to lay my life down for others. 
And so I'm going to desire to continue to live in this world and lay my life down and let the timing of when I go to Jesus be on him, not on me. Because that's the Jesus kind of life. I am living Jesus' story, Paul's saying. I am living the kind of love Jesus loves, Paul's saying, because Jesus changes everything. All right, let's keep going here. I love this quote from the Bible Project. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice for Paul. Rather, it's staying alive to serve others so that Paul's way of participating, so that's Paul's way of participating in the story of Jesus. Suffering in order to love others more than himself. Rather stay alive and suffer because I'm participating with Jesus when I do it. All right, so last few verses here, our lives living Jesus' story. So he says this, he says, only let, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How you live, I'm calling you, I'm drawing you, I'm asking you, live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. So whether I come to you and see you or whether I'm absent, whether I never make it, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That, that, you, that you're working together, that you've understood Jesus changes everything, that you've understood your life is the story of Jesus just like my life, that you've understood you're living a Jesus kind of love together, not frightened by anything by your opponents. He says, now this is crazy, he says this, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Once again, he's referring to the return of Christ. He says, do you want the world to understand the salvation Jesus brought and the judgment he's going to bring? Then understand Jesus changes everything. You're living his story. You're living that kind of love. He says, that will do it. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but you should also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and near and now still and hear that I still now have. Because you've heard I've gone through conflict. You've heard that I'm suffering. Well, guess what? That suffering is not bothering me. And the un only way that suffering is bothering me is if it's bothering you. Because I'm seeing Jesus worked out even through this. He says, now listen, but the point is, is that Jesus suffered. We're all going to suffer. Now, I'm thinking about how is I, can I best present this? How can we best understand this? How can we best grasp this? And I read a passage um, from a book called uh, Underground Church by Brian Sanders. And, and he talks about um, living incarnationally, living the Jesus story. And, and, he, and he wrote this, it's, it's going to be a long quote here, but I think this really sums up what Paul's talking about when it says that, that that life that we saw in Jesus, that life we saw in Paul, that can be our life right here, right now, in a real and practical way. We can embrace these things. He says this, um, he says, I've lived in the same inner city neighborhood since 1996 but I've never considered myself an urban missionary. I've probably had a hundred ministry conversations with the urban poor in my neighborhood over the years. I've broken up fights, intervened in domestic violence, cared for a woman recovering from having been raped, shared the gospel with people who were high, enraged, or just plain crazy. 
I've given shelter, help, and comfort to countless people over the years just because of where we live. We have shared the gospel, led people to Jesus, cast out demons, healed the sick, seen miracles, and yet I have never set out, not one day of my life, to do urban ministry. All of that happened simply because of the decision to move into the neighborhood. That one choice to move my body into a place among the needy and my first commitment, my first commitment to be a herald of the kingdom was all it took. We're just trying to be good neighbors in a neighborhood that needs good neighbors. In short, if when we go to them and love them where they are, he promises us, this is later on down, Jesus promises us an encounter with him. It is nothing short of breathtaking. The modern church seems to continue thinking that Jesus is most profoundly encountered through music and surrounded by other Christians. As beautiful as that is, it's nothing compared to the promise of his presence in the sacrament of incarnation. You see, Jesus didn't save us from the comfort of heaven. Jesus didn't stay in his place of glory. He left his place of glory and came among us. He says this in John 17. Father, now glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Let me ask a question. If Jesus couldn't save the world from the comfort of heaven, how can we bring salvation to the world from the comfort of the church? Jesus was sent into the world. He sends us as well. John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Talking to the Father. The most intimate relationship Jesus has between him and the Father. Father, the same way you've sent me, I'm sending them. As we close out this first book, Paul understood something. Jesus changes everything. Paul prayed. Paul prayed that they would have a Jesus kind of love, that we would have a Jesus kind of love. Paul lived. He understood his life was living out Jesus' story. And he calls us for our lives to live out the Jesus story. As the Father sent Jesus, may he send us. Amen. 